0: everyone and welcome back to the film score podcast today my guest is CJ Mira who just made his feature film debut with the new indie UK horror film A Banquet although to be fair when i call it a horror film in a lot of ways it's really a family domestic drama that's heightened so much it falls into some horror and supernatural territory cj's score actually was just released on Burning Witch's Records a few weeks back and as a really cool combination of strange noisy sounds, atmospherics, and hints of melody. So it's available everywhere and the film itself, I believe, is available to rent digitally. Just left UK theaters a couple weeks ago. Interestingly, CJ's also done about 20 or so short surf films, and they're not what you'd expect. It's not like he's doing covers of Miserloo or something. They kind of span the Sonic palette, and he has a compilation from 2018 that features a bunch of choice cues from these various films, which, frankly, are really cool. And coming up on the horizon, he's actually scoring an Apple series about surfing as well, and be having his debut album, his debut solo album, coming out soon too, called CJ's Mirror Maze. You can find out more about CJ by visiting his website, and of course, you can do the same for me. Now things are slowly, slowly starting to wind down at FilmScore HQ, but I certainly have at least two more months of good interviews on the way. I'll keep your ears open for those, but in the meantime, sit back and enjoy the listen. CJ, I'm so glad you could join me today. How have you been?
1: Yeah, very good, man. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. I uh had to listen to a banquet I don't know a week or so ago, saw the film, and yeah, it was uh was stoked to have you on. It's it's a really interesting, strange score, and hearing those types of things always draws my attention.
1: Ah, cool. Yeah, glad you like.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I know that, that was actually your I think your second collaboration with the director Ruth Paxton. The first being a short film, um, Be Still My Beating Heart, I think. Yeah. How did that collaboration start and what's that working relationship like?
1: Firstly, like Ruth's amazing. So I was pretty, you know, I kind of landed in on that first, on the short, Be Still My Beating Heart. And it just, it just went so smoothly and it was such fun to work on. And she was so great to work with. So to get to do a feature was pretty magic. The way I got it, I don't know, it's probably a good little story for people out there who are kind of starting out. Uh, and stuff's getting kicked back because that's kind of how I got the job was uh, I'd been asked to do some trailer music for something mm. and I'd done something that I thought was pretty out there I'd never done anything like that before I was like pretty stoked on it lots of very strange sounds sent it off and they were just like nah like <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all this is this isn't what we want and so I was like ah oh, that's a shame but then like the day after I sent it or something Hamish who I work with uh, my agent he was in a meeting and they were after something for this horror short. And he was like, oh, CJ's just sent me this. And they heard that and they were just like, oh, this is a thing. Let's have a conversation. So then I got on the phone with Ruth. Ruth, We started speaking about it a bit more. I watched the film, loved it. And yeah, that's that's kind of from kind of a door shutting. Then that one opened. And so, yeah, it was pretty good.
0: Oh, that's that's amazing. And I think that's like totally unexpected. I guess that's one upside of a lot of trailer music. It feels like being more conventional is somehow it opened the door for you. So that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: And so then moving on from the short to a banquet, how did that conversation go? What sort of uh, discussions were happening regarding you scoring and, and the composing process?
1: It was a really like linear move from doing the short to the feature because we spent a while thinking about what we were going to do in the short, and, and that was very much about like, restriction of breath, and so I wanted to use woodwind instruments, which I'd not really worked with before. And I worked with this um, great player called Naomi Thomas, and we just recorded her playing like bass clarinet, clarinet, like, loads of times I sampled it, super high sample rates for the geeks out there who are into that stuff, and like, pitched it down and started creating this very unique sound world. And Ruth really liked that, the fact that it had a very like, identifiable sound. So she started actually temping the score to the feature with a lot of the music from the short. So there was already like that crossover of the sound world. She made the feature, she made a banquet during lockdown. It was like one of the first films like post the first lockdown in the UK to go into production. I was like, wow, I can't believe you guys are out there making a film right now. Um, she's like, yeah, we need to talk about the score. So we did about how it was going to sort of develop from some of the ideas that we'd experimented with on the short.
0: Cool, oh, so because a lot of times you hear complaints about temp music, normally because it's from scores that other people have done. Was it weird having parts of the film temped with something that you'd already done? Like, was there a pressure to kind of recreate that somehow? Or was it just like a natural jumping off point?
1: Oh, It's kind of the dream, because then you're already in your own skin. You know, so much about like working with the directors about the language that you use and the You know, music is ultimately the thing you want to get out, but describing that and talking about it and the effect you want to have on the audience and the connection you want to have with the characters and the sound world you want to create in general, you know, sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint that when you're just talking about it, especially when you're referring to like other people's music, which like you say is often what gets used as the temp score and you're like, what is it in that temp music that they're latching onto, you know, and how can you bring that into your own sound world and transfer it uh, kind of in your own image we sort of didn't have that. I mean, she used other tracks as well. It wasn't just, like, all stuff from the show, but it just meant we had a really good point to start from.
0: Interesting. I mean, I guess that makes sense, too, because I've talked with some composers who had a director temp the film with prior compositions, but the director interpreted the music differently than what the composer had intended, and so there was just, like, a fundamental disconnect, whereas yeah, here, yeah, obviously, totally. you had already collaborated on that music, so you would assumedly have already been completely on the same page so that's that's actually really interesting i, I like that yeah
1: it's great and then it was just about kind of upscaling it or trying to go well this is the starting point where can we go really trying to understand the things that we're going to translate and the other things we we're going to leave behind and step into the bigger scale of, of the feature film
0: so the the palette i think is actually really interesting because you do have a lot of the stranger rumbling soundscapes but then on a few of the tracks, you know, there's like ethereal vocals and choirs on, earlier in the film, uh, on the Q lipstick, I think. There's just like an odd assortment of, it sounds like some acoustic guitar, some type of idiophone, just a bunch of different things going on. How did you, like you said, upscale the the palette and the sound and, and land on some of these eclectic choices?
1: I mean, firstly, like, it was really intense, but it was really fun, you know, to get this assemb- like I had some really good musicians that I worked with and some really fun gear and processes and treatments that I'd done in the past and been experimenting with. I was like, oh, they can come to the fore now Like we can really go mm. dark with this. You know, there's a lot of talk around the fact that it's just sort of dipping its toes into horror, but ultimately it's this drama between these wonderful women and the trouble that they're, they're getting into and this idea that they're in this, this fishbowl. As the film progresses, that things get more intense, the relationships get more strained, things get much, much darker as you go on. So it's like, how do we get that darkness? How do we get all these different layers of what's going on in the film in like represented musically, and at the same time having these beautiful human moments, especially earlier on in the film, like you say, where things can be more musical. The second we start talking about it being a fishbowl, kind of a step from doing the, the short film and working with woodwind, I was like, I want woodwind underwater. I want that muffled sound. I want the sound of the the bubbles coming out with the muffled tone and slowing that right down and having that as a texture that can kind of sit in amongst whatever's happening musically. So this, it's all happening during lockdown, so it's quite hard to get together with people. So I sent a, like a hydrophone to my mate, Stephen Crow, who writes great operas, and uh, he he was playing. I so saw it. was just because he was playing on Instagram with, he had like the reed of a saxophone or a clarinet or something going into this hose pipe at the end of it. And I was just like, hey man, can you can you just stick the other end under the water and let me <laughs> let me send you this stuff and just see what happens it might sound terrible it might sound amazing i just want to get like a sample pack and i sent him a bunch of stuff to play so i sent him all that and it came back i was like oh my god this sounds amazing uh, so that was like the first thing that i'd got that i started putting into samplers and turning into instruments just for myself and then for like the horror thing like i'm you know i love what you can get out of very basic synthesis and so it and i had been doing a session with, um, it, was, it was lucky, he's like one of my favorite producers, a guy called Dan Carey. We were working on a, another project and I told him about this. He's like, oh, you've got to check this synth out. It's called a Swarmatron. And he's this beautiful, very weird looking um, synthesizer that has lots of oscillators that you can tune so they beat against each other. Hmm. And you just get that sound that gets under your skin. And you can have it as deep or as high pitched as you, as you like. And you can get it to rise and fall and you can be quite dynamic with it. So then that was the next step was going to his studio and spending like hours and hours just creating (laughs) and creating and like we were bringing up scenes from the film and then we were ignoring the scenes from the film and just creating the sound banks and and so that was like another layer that we could have so to begin with it was like just really exploring like a whole bunch of different sounds that i knew were going to work that i could sample off and then work within whatever compositions kind of came and were inspired by the textures and tones of these sounds
0: and when I read that you'd work with Dan Carey, I got really excited for a second that it was the the tool drummer Danny Carey. But
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next time, yeah, we'll <laughs> into that. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I mean, I love that. I love the the level of exploration, experimentation that both indie films and it seems like more horror focused films lend themselves to. But did that ever get overwhelming of being like, I'm going to go to the far corners to see what kind of sounds I can pull in, or was it kind of liberating having fewer restraints on you to start off with
1: i think i was just trying to be led by the film as much as possible Mm. like see how you know because you're getting early cuts through and it was like i went on set actually i was quite lucky to just go down and see them see them filming and i was chatting to jess alexander who plays betsy and she was saying oh you missed this really intense session that we did last week and i was like how intense was it and she like gave me a a little bit of the scene, like, just literally acted out. I was like, oh, okay, that's really intense. <laughs> so, like, I already knew before I'd started on a single thing that, you know, we weren't going to hold back at all. And, and and Ruth had said that, you know, there's going to be times where we can go, like, almost sonic assault, you know. Hmm. You you really want to feel it. So like lots of low-end frequencies, lots of piercing high-end frequencies. And it was just choosing those points in the film where we could get to that, that spot. So it happens early on, and then it happens a lot later on, too.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I don't I don't want to give anything away, but there's a scene... Maybe the like the second to last scene that's basically the visuals, but your score as well is just oscillating between something brutal and pummeling and then rather serene, and that juxtaposition has such a strong effect that, just like you said, being able to take it to those extremes and then dial it back is like very effective and bewildering to the uh, the viewer, the listener.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that was just a great edit sequence. Like in the acting's like next level, and you're just totally, by you know you should be fully absorbed at that point, you know, and then you're just in this like swinging between these quite these two extremes. Yeah, that was that was fun, fun to do. <laughs> I Bet.
0: And I do like you mentioning that it is, I guess, if you want to put it in a bucket, it is a horror film, but the core of it is like a family drama, really, between these. Four women, and you know, three generations of of women in this family, and I think that that's really important for a lot of horror films to basically be a different film almost that has horror elements going on because it becomes so much more relatable and so much more real rather than just a guy with a machete chasing you. I mean, I I like those too, but yeah, yeah. is there a difficulty in in striking that balance between the The human, the family, the emotional elements, and then the unsettling, more horror-based aspects.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely the. I don't. I don't know if it was a challenge in terms of the craft of like deciding how far to go down the horror sort of like things you'd expect to hear in a horror. I think it's harder to sort of uh, for how you pitch the film than it is to like make it because Hmm. for Ruth, I think we never spoke about it really being a you know horror in that way but we were going to go there at points you know ultimately this is about focusing on the relationships between the characters and the horror element is just it feels like it's coming out of something really real and something really relatable it's not like something out there it's very it's, you know something that people can identify with who i think who are going through that age that betsy the character the things that she's dealing with and the way that the mother and the grandmother relate like it all feels just very relatable, like a, like a, like a really, really, really intense family drama. It's almost yeah. like drama didn't, it didn't quite fit into drama because it pushed into horror, because that's how far Ruth wanted to take it. Rather than it being a horror pulling down into drama, you know, I think it's, mm. it feels like it's more that way around. It's like push the top off because you have this otherworldly element to it, dealing with you know mental health and how you deal with trauma as a family and like lots of these issues, which horror feels like a natural next step into you know, for it to step into that world.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you could hear that with some of the, the musical choices too, where there are scenes or, or aspects of a conflict between the characters that, like, I don't want to say seems mundane or ordinary because I think they're all heightened to an extent. But then the score pushes that even more to where, you know, you're watching an argument over eating dinner. Literally just like, you need to eat more food. But then, then it just like pushes it to this intense set of conflict.
1: I think because because all the action, e- anything, even if it's just like a conversation between like June the grandmother and Betsy, there's this moment where they're trying to see eye to eye, or June's trying to see eye to eye. It, like again, a very sort of mundane scene, if you like. It's just domestic. It was very domestic, yeah. you know. But actually, the throughout the whole film. There's just this undercurrent of unease and the unease is what builds and builds and builds and so musically you're the that's the one of the most powerful ways to keep that unease present even when you're just in a domestic moment that that was quite a challenge as she was was finding things that did that without being too intrusive or without being too leading you know and so that's why i i love texture because texture can do that without a melody soaring around and, and leading you in a overtly emotional way Texture can hold you in a position and then nudge you somewhere else. So, like, and that particular one, it's all like it just sounds like the whole house is just under so much strain that it could just fall at any moment. So it's a bit industrial. It's like everything feels like it's creaking, but it's nothing discernibly doesn't sound like creaking wood or anything. I think it was a bunch of um clarinet taps really mangled <laughs> that went into that. That's kind of what I enjoy the most is like that crossover between the sound design and the musical elements and how they can be as important as each other to create a vibe or put the audience in a place.
0: I do appreciate that explanation too, because you hear a lot of people complain about textures and drones and more ambiance coming in in lieu of like pure melody. But there's so many times where that, for instance, having a melody would just seem very odd or having a theme playing over top would break the immersion or break the spell.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's got to be a balance. And the other thing is, it's got to sound great. Like if it's just a generic drone that you could pick up off a sample pack, I get it. You don't, yeah. you don't want that. But if I think if you really get into the detail and, and you find the what, what is it in, that's in those sounds that is actually going to be emotive, and then you like actually pull it off, then it works really well. I just think there's been a lot of times when it's not been pulled off very well. <laughs> Hopefully this isn't one of them. You know, it's like if you're going to create drones then like, you know, there's there's thousands of very interesting ways that you can make drones and textures that people haven't heard before.
0: You could probably say that about a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of films that can fall flat or even doing more melodic aspects in film music or any type of music. People give textured music uh, they look at it through a much more critical lens sometimes yeah, yeah. not yeah. not appreciating exactly what you're saying that to do it well you're not just taking a some sample and using it and that's that there is a whole process behind it same with like creating a synth patch or something
1: yeah, yeah. or what scale are you going to use you know yeah. or what chord progression you're going to use you can be lazy and obvious with that stuff too yeah and it's it's just got to be about experimenting with the scene and with and it's how it fits in like the film as a whole i think is another really important bit like if it was just that there'd be too much which is why it was great to have moments like lipstick which are very musical and it's like finding out how how the chord progressions, how the instrumentation how the way that it develops it's almost like trying to capture the same thing that you're capturing with just the textual stuff but in a musical sense and just be more lyrical with it
0: Mm. yeah that makes sense and Having that those elements too works particularly well in a banquet because the younger sister she does uh, figure skating, so there's both like some overt classical elements during sequences where she's skating, but then also in lipstick, that's when she's I think doing some moves practicing inside the house, and so it has this imagery that I think we maybe subconsciously automatically associate with something that's. Going to be a bit more traditional or classical or melodic. And that's something that was interesting in that cue is because it has some of those elements, it has that melody, but it has a lot of the noise and dissonance and chaos sort of bubbling underneath. So you don't sit there and listen to it and go, oh, this is so beautiful. You go, ah, oh, there's like, this is nice, but there's something very ominous coming up.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you, you like picked up on that because that was something that we did spend quite a while on, like doing versions that didn't have any of those elements and just letting the weirdness of the progression, was that enough? But actually, the film is so visually rich as well. There's loads of little things in there, like uh, just having a plate slightly too close to the edge, you know, or just something a bit too perfect, you know, the the set design and the, even the clothing and stuff, I think it all, it just has this unease about it. Like on surface level, okay, everything looks sort of fine and very domestic, and they're obviously well off and everything, but this undercurrent needs to be, like, always there, like omnipresent. Yeah, And how does that push and push and push through the film?
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, because it's something I wasn't even thinking of Like, going back to the the dinner scene about you know, how much food to have, at one point the mother then pours a bunch of peas onto a plate, but it's just like a, a oddly large amount of peas, it, like, it becomes a mountain of it. Those very little details where it's really easy to miss, you pick up on them and it's... It, just keeps pushing the feeling that things are off I, I i just love those little those little details
1: yeah i mean the tension just from yeah that particular scene is especially you know it's, from a composer's perspective that stuff so great because there's already so much to latch onto. you know again on paper it's, it's a nice dinner food looks great mm. beautiful black plates that look <laughs> really expensive you know and but actually there's this again this undercurrent that's like something's not right and what's going to happen? How's the not rightness going to be visible in this, you know, in the next yeah. few minutes? You know, and how do you build tension towards that or not? You know, yeah, it's fun to play with.
0: And I guess with the with the scene like that, where the tension, as you, as you watch it, as it unfolds, like it's already there, did you ever have a hesitancy to even put music in or like a worry of the music being too much or making everything a bit too obvious?
1: Yeah, and that's that's just where like understanding the intention like you know i got a version of the script early on and talking about you just a general thing like how much music is there going to be you know how how full do you want this how you know how much do do we want music to just be like a sound bed or how much do we want it to really illustrate was something that we just ebbed and flowed as we were, were making it and living with it for a little bit and then being like oh actually let's pull back here because then this is going to be more powerful or i think if stuff's there and it's there as an option and you until you see it until it's like hooked up, synced up to the visuals, you don't really know. And then it might work really well within the scene, but then in the context of the whole film, you might be, okay, there's too much there, let's let's pull back. So that was just something that, working closely with Ruth and with the producers, we kind of hopefully found a balance that works, you know, by the end. I throw stuff at everything. You know, I'd I'd soundtrack every second. (laughs) I,
0: I can't speak for everyone, but I thought it worked, so. Cool, thank you. But, and what was it that, Drew you to work on this film other than you're already working with Ruth. Was there anything in particular about horror itself or was it just an enticing project?
1: Just in general, like I'm very drawn to those sound palettes and that mm. darkness weirdly, like a lot of the music that I kind of write for myself is much more up and colorful in a different way, like more like primary colors. well, this is like darker <laughs> you know darker <laughs> colors, and it's kind of um. A weirdly very naturally drawn to those kind of sounds, and then, for the film itself, when I read the script, you know I was just sort of sold within you know halfway through the first act. you know, I just thought it was such a <laughs> such a fascinating way to explore the issues that are in the I kind of don't want to give too much away, but like the issues that were within the film and what basically goes through, and you know people within my life who've experienced sort of similar things. And just being like this, like what a great way to explore this in in this magical, mystical way that can be so powerful and can say so much. And so, with those powers combined, you know, I, I was in.
0: And I guess jumping off from that of some of the other work that you're doing and how it you know is very different from your work on a banquet. I realized that you'd actually scored twenty surf-related shorts and films and things like that. Can you really quickly tell me about how you got into it and how some of that music plays out?
1: Yeah, I used to play in a band called Swimming, and there was a director called Chris McLean who I ended up working on most of those 20 films with. And he heard something that we, we just put up, like a little demo thing. And, yeah, eventually, like, he got hold of me. We, we chatted on the phone. We ended up on the phone for, like, two hours. And he was like, oh, can you... That was just fascinating because all, all the surf films that he was making was, like, he was shooting in, like, Norway... Iceland, Ireland, all these places where I was like, wait, what? You're making (laughs) like surf films there? You know, I don't have a surfing background. And he sent me over like what he was working on, and I just thought it was absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And he was going out to these wild, remote parts of Northern Europe and capturing these surfers surfing these like incredible waves in these beautiful parts of the world. And then he was like, yeah, we don't know what this really sounds like. You know, we can't slap Dick Dale on this. You know, and the kind of music that they were wanting to put on there, they were like using Boards of Canada and Forest Swords, like loads of people I was really into. And then he had a commission for Channel 4 and he was like, Would you fancy writing something for this a little film called Beyond the Scars? And so I was like, Yeah, you know, not done stuff like this before, let's give it a go. And that was it. You know, we did that one, went down well, and then kept coming through. It was a great film called Edges of Sanity. They often come with poetry, they get like a mm. a poetry guy called Dan Crockett, who's, um, like lots of his poetry is based on the natural world and the changes to the natural world for better and for worse. He, you know, he highlights a lot of issues around the environment because these people they're on the edge. You know, they're like out there surfing. They see the change, so they're very vocal about it. Or a lot of them are vocal about it. And these films became a bit of a platform for that as well. And it was through that it was actually through someone um, seeing edges of sanity being like, oh, did you score this? Oh, you did the sound design. Oh, would you like to have a go on? A feature that we're working on just try a scene and that was a film called norfolk which is an absolutely brilliant film so i kind of approached it in the same way that i'd been approaching these surf films where there wasn't really a template for it there was just like oh this kind of music sounds cool it's it's epic it's big you know you still have this connection with the individual surfers and their relationship with the environment i, I guess i was just a really good place to to understand the relationship between music and film like and how how they could work together, how they could fight against each other. And then, you know, through doing that, I got offered other jobs that were kind of not surf films, you know, and that yeah. eventually led to a banquet, you know, which was my first solo score.
0: Interesting. And, and with scoring those films, I mean, what's your focus on? Like, because it has a mixture of the imagery and the poetry going on, you know, are there specific aspects you try to accentuate or just make it sound good, or, or how does that work?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean so weirdly like now i did one recently actually and i I kind of think about it less because the instincts mm. are up a bit from doing it so much uh but before we would you know we really think about it we would really talk about and chris would talk a lot about just how big the waves are like the or the color of the water or you know whether these this is going to be a fast edit or a slow edit do we want people to feel like they're there or do we want people just to be excited by the fact people are there you know it's like how immersive are we going to be how much is it going to be a spectator thing how much energy do we want to push it like how do you make something which is essentially just people getting in the water and surfing like dynamic (laughs) over 15 minutes you know what's the story around it you know what's the mood like is this just exciting or is it more of a meditative piece you know and across all the films that we did we we spanned quite a large you know more than you need to expect for just that (laughs) that subject you know we we kind of spanned more kind of approaches to it and all that was just like great yeah just great kind of immersion and in sound to picture I guess
0: interesting and and I know that you released a sort of a compilation, I guess you could call it uh maybe three three and a half years ago some of that and mm. I, don't know, I I do find that just such an interesting muse almost there's a European metal band called Apocalyptica who scored a oceanic documentary that's also just focused on like the majesty and daunting nature of waves, and it 's all this. Basically, cellos in uh, an almost like metal voice.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: I just love that sort of stuff. So it's something that really fascinates me. And so I know that you've got that comp out, and I think you have some of those videos up too. So to anyone listening, I'd yeah, yeah. recommend uh, giving them a watch or a little listen.
1: Well, I mean, stuff like Kyani Katsi, you know, Philip Glass, like that, some of that stuff was an yeah. influence for that, you know, where you're just, oh. you're detached a little bit and you're watching on. Like there's some sometimes you do that, and other times you just try and write a cool track <laughs> that would just match <laughs> it, you know, and be more like traditional surf films that you know I like watching just as a fan. I can what talk about it now. It's coming out pretty soon. Like people know it's coming, but I did the the Apple series on the World Surf League, mm. so that was like another level again of like how do you take the experience that I had of doing all these these surf films before into a way that was going to can't think of a better way of saying it, but like crossover, you know, so people who aren't into surfing at all or aren't part of the, the culture can appreciate what's going on behind the scenes with like the best surfs in the world, surfing the best waves in the world, you know, and what goes into that. So that was like another sort of like development from where I'd been to like do a project where it was just total immersion in that for like seven months, just writing, 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 writing wow. over surfers. Yeah.
0: Because that's that's uh, forthcoming at some point. What was some of the the palette or the sound that you use for that series
1: oh just heavy drama <laughs> <Like> for, <laughs> for real yeah like way more like there's some there's some more moments that feel like they're maybe more out of the culture but we, we spent a lot of time working out how to bring like this dramatic element to it yeah i can't really talk too much about it but like when oh, it, that, that was the thing yeah that was the the big takeaway was like oh okay actually no this stuff works okay let's get heavy <laughs> let's get heavy with it so yeah
0: awesome looking forward to that and then I know that you were also working on a a solo debut too is that still in the early stages? is there any hints you can give out about that
1: yeah so this some of the stuff was kind of coming before I started writing like like off the back of doing the surf stuff and just kind of getting back to sort of writing you know some of it's quite back like bandy just like more bandy there's guitars there's vocals there's real drums and then I can't help but have been influenced by the amount of time that I've spent working to film. So some of those elements are kind of brought in for sure. But yeah, that's going to be called CJ's Mirror Maze. That's kind of awesome. going to be like the band, the band project for that. But yeah, if all goes to plan, that'll be May. First track will drop okay, for that. Okay, cool.
0: Very soon then. Yeah. Awesome. And and I you know I should have mentioned this a minute ago. You mentioning uh, Philip Glass at all, or especially Clay Naskazi it's like, what are my favorite composers? What are my favorite pieces of music out there? So that's that's how you, like, make me a fan instantly. Cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's something <laughs> else, isn't it? It hasn't been that much like that. Like, I kind of love those, you know, maybe like Mogwai when they did that Zidane. You know, I kind of, I really like those. You really feel like you're looking through a lens and the music totally, like, places that lens for you in this, yeah you know, really engaging way. Yeah, I, re- I, I you know, like a lot of stuff like that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well. CJ, you know, with uh, with those comments, you've made me a happy guy for the rest of my day. So <laughs> I think that's...
1: he's made me a happy guy. So <laughs> All good.
0: <laughs> so that's a, it's a great way to to end things on. Once again, I, I appreciate you jumping on to chat with me a bit about A Banquet, which I think's out, I don't know if it's in theaters, it's out everywhere it I is, thought yeah. at the very least.
1: Yeah, and in UK theaters for another week or so.
0: Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, thanks again, man. I, I appreciate you jumping on chat with me you know, it's it's a Monday, so still early in the week, but yeah enjoy the rest of the week.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's great to chat.
0: Of course.